Presenting Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Focus on Truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of God and helping people understand the practical relevance of the Bible. Join now with Chuck as together we focus on the truth of God's Word. We continue our study that I've entitled Frustration, Failure, and Faith. And what we're talking about is trusting God in trying times. Today we're looking at the prophet Jonah. And our subtitle is When We're Angry with People and God. Just by way of review, and this is in your notes, so if you want to follow along, that would be fine. We've talked about why we get frustrated. The general answer is that life just isn't working the way we want it to or the way that we think it ought to. Um, and What's the basis for our thinking that life should be working differently? Well, that comes from the effects of the culture in which we live, our socialization, and yet there are some more specific answers that we can look at, and we've seen some of those in prior studies. For example, we get very impatient with God and with people. We have seen that in in the study of Abraham and Sarah. And then there are times that we try to uh, manipulate people in order to relieve ourselves of our frustration. We saw that in the life of Leah. There are other times we become frustrated because people make unreasonable demands upon us and there's nothing that we can do about those people or about their demands. And certainly we saw that in the life of Jacob. And then there's Samson that we talked about last time. Uh, Sometimes the reason we get frustrated is because we have a sense of entitlement. Somehow this is owed to us and if I'm not getting it, I get real frustrated and uh, ultimately will get angry. And we certainly saw that in the life of Samson. But also another reason, uh, and it uh, relates to what we're talking about today, is when there is injustice that's going on and it just continues to go on and God, who is a just God, doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. And that's what we're going to see in the life of Jonah. Because Jonah not only was a prophet, He also was a patriot. He loved his country and he wanted to see his country do well and to survive. And at that time, Assyria was a growing threat to to Israel. Um, There's a similar situation that took place a number of years later uh, after the Assyrian Empire fell to the Babylonian Empire and then the Babylonians began to uh, move toward Israel and would ultimately uh, capture, uh, that is they would move toward Judah and ultimately capture Judah. And in the prophet Habakkuk, and not a lot of us read Habakkuk real often, but there's a passage in Habakkuk in chapter 1, verse 13, where Habakkuk says this. In other words, what's, what's going on in the time of Habakkuk is there's all sorts of injustice that's going on in the land of Judah. The, uh, the king is corrupt. Everything is corrupt in leadership. And uh, people are corrupt. Uh, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. And so Habakkuk complains and says, Lord, I don't understand. Why is this going on? And in verse 13 of chapter 1, Habakkuk says this, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow 
swallow up those more righteous than themselves. And if you recall from from having read Habakkuk, uh, God finally gave uh, Habakkuk an answer and said, uh, oh, I do care, and, and now I'm paraphrasing, and he says, I am going to do something about it, and that is I'm going to turn the Babylonians loose on the people of Judah. And then Habakkuk has another problem says, well, I certainly don't understand that. How could you use someone more wicked than we are to judge us? And God never answers that question. God just says, you just need to trust me. And that's uh, that's where Habakkuk winds up. Well, when we look at the story of Jonah, uh, again, Jonah was not only a prophet, he was also a patriot. And just as in Jonah's day, so also in our day, there is a tendency among Christians to equate Christianity with patriotism. Some of the similarities, I think, uh, between the two uh, uh, the two, Christianity and patriotism, are things such as loyalty and honor and respect and reverence and sacrifice and and being involved in a sense of something that's greater than oneself. But there are differences and there are dramatic differences in terms of loyalty. Uh, we have to remember as Christians that the earth is not our permanent home. The believer's true citizenship is in heaven and God must be our ultimate, the one to whom we are ultimately loyal, um, in terms of submission and obedience. Now, obviously, God has Himself instituted civil authority, and He's done that to maintain order in society, to establish some type of rulership. After all, even uh, even totalitarianism, as awful as it is, is better than uh, than tyranny, uh, or I, I guess I should say, it's it's uh, it's better than just uh, uh, an open rebellion somewhere where where people are just being killed indiscriminately. But God has instituted civil authority and so when we read the Bible, God tells us that you and I are to pay our taxes, that we are to respect the uh, delegated authorities, that we are to pray for our rulers, and we are to obey laws. However, however, our obedience to God is unequivocal. Now, our obedience to the state depends. If uh, if the state requires us to do something that God forbids, we have to say no. We have to be civilly disobedient. Or if the state uh, forbids us to do something that God requires, then we're called upon to do uh, civil disobedience. Uh, obedience to civil government is limited. Uh, we Uh, Jesus and Paul and Peter all urge civil obedience. But the biblical view of the believer is that of being aliens and strangers in an ungodly world. well, I guess if we were to try to find some sort of bottom line somewhere, we could say our response to American patriotism should be, yes, but. Yes, we should be patriotic, but. Yes, we love our country and we thank God that we live here. We are grateful to God that we could have been born anywhere, but God in His mercy uh, 
let us be born here. But we do not fully belong here or in any earthly land because our home ultimately is in heaven where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. So valuing the ideals of this nation or any nation is not the same thing. Uh, It's not equal to valuing the gospel of Christ. God has indeed blessed and continues to bless this nation, but He blesses other lands as well. So I I just thought I would throw that in because I think that's an important part. Uh, It's going to stimulate our thinking regarding patriotism when we look at this story about Jonah. Uh, Jonah lived during the time of King Jeroboam II. That would have been somewhere between about uh, Jeroboam reign between 793 and 753 B.C. Assyria was in a weakened state. It was uh, fighting other battles other than with Israel. And um, that's sort of... the, the time frame. As far as uh, the question of authenticity is concerned, we need to ask ourselves, uh, well, there's some people who say that the story of Jonah is just a myth. And so we ask ourselves this question, is, is, is Jonah uh, the tale of a whale or is it a whale of a tale? And the truth is it's not either one. It's certainly not a whale of a tale. But it's not the tale of a whale either. The, there is a great fish involved, but what it is, it's the story of God. It's a story of God who has mercy uh, as He dis- uh, as He determines to have mercy. Um, and in fact, I think the ultimate um, proof that it's not a myth, that it is a real story, is found in Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It's a real story. It is certainly not a myth. Uh, Again, as I mentioned, this takes place in the mid-late 8th century B.C. Jonah had had um, had had an earlier ministry and we see that from Second Kings chapter 14 where it says King Jeroboam of Israel restored the border of Israel according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. Gath-Hefer is about three miles north of, uh, of Nazareth. So... What's happened in uh, this prophecy that Jonah had made about the restoration of this territory uh, led to uh, a time of nationalism. It was a time of patriotism. And certainly Jonah was swept up in that as well. And with the fact that you've got this huge empire to the north, the Assyrians, uh, it, was a, it was a time to be on board as far as your, your team, the, uh, the Israelites, were concerned. But God has um, has some things in mind because remember, God is not you know, ultimately is not going to save just those among Jews, but He is going to save some among Gentiles as well. He is going to take a people for Himself out from among Jews and out from among Gentiles, and this is an Old Testament story of that. And in the process, God does a work in Jonah Himself. There are four chapters in the book of Jonah. In chapter 1 we see uh, Jonah as the petulant prophet. In chapter 2 we see him as the praying prophet. In chapter 3 we see him as the preaching prophet. And in chapter 4 we see him as the pouting prophet. So, 
let's read through this. I'll make a few comments as we go along, and uh, let's see what uh, what the Lord can can teach us through all of this. We begin with uh, with chapter one, and we want to uh, consider the first sixteen verses. Let's let's begin reading, uh, and notice as we read through this uh, that everything in God's creation obeys God except for one thing, and that was Jonah. Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. Remember, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It was about 500 miles to the northeast on on the Tigris River. It was about eight miles. The walls were about eight miles in circumference. Uh, It... uh, just a huge, huge place. Uh, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee. Now, so here's God's commissioning Jonah, and God has a plan. You go and you you call them to repentance. You you call out against the uh, against the sin that his. Uh, that they are that they are doing, and yet uh, Jonah has a prejudice against the Assyrians, and it's based on the fact that he not only is a prophet but he also is a patriot, and it's easy to understand that because if you read uh, history about things that the Assyrians did when they conquered a nation they would take some of the population and they would move them back to other areas, uh, different areas of, uh, of the Assyrian Empire. And they would take people from other areas of the Assyrian Empire and bring them in, in this case it would be to Israel, so that, uh, so that there would be an assimilation and people would, uh, would sort of lose any kind of former national or ethnic identity that they had and it would become, as it were, a melting pot. Uh, if you were involved in battle against, if you were in the army and you fought against the Assyrians, one of the things that the Assyrians would do when after they defeated an army is they would leave pyramids of skulls uh, just as a reminder to the people who lived in that area that you don't mess with us. So it's easy to understand why Jonah would have been reluctant to go to Assyria. Notice in verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Now Tarshish is 2,500 miles due west. It would be in what today we would call Portugal. Uh, around the... Well, it would be in Portugal. Notice it says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, can you get away from the presence of the Lord? No. You can run, but you can't hide. Where can I go from your presence? The psalmist wrote in Psalm 139. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. Even there, your hand will will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Uh, there's just there's just nowhere you can run, but you can't hide. And Jonah's going to find that out. He 
rose uh, to, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. That's 60 miles to the southwest of gath Hefer. It's, uh, it's on the uh, shoreline even today of, uh, of Israel there at the Mediterranean. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Notice that term, the presence of the Lord is used about three times there. Uh, Again, you can run, but you cannot hide. And notice what what uh, the effects of sin in our lives, because we see here, uh, as we read through the rest of this, he goes down to Joppa, he goes down to a ship, he goes down into the hold of the ship, he goes down into the ocean, and then he goes into the belly of the great fish. Which way does sin always lead us? It always leads us down. And that's a, that's a great picture that we see here. Notice it says... What happened? So he's trying to run away. And incidentally, isn't it interesting that it says that uh, he paid the fare and went down into the ship. Notice uh, the uh, old Jonah pulls out his uh, his money bag and he starts saying, whoa, look there, I've got just enough money to, uh, to pay the fare to get away from here. It must be the Lord's will because I've got just enough money. See, that's the kind of thinking that some of us would have. But we need to be careful and not be guided by our circumstances. Jonah has his marching orders and his marching orders are you get yourself 500 miles to the northeast and you preach to those Ninevites. And he, he's such a patriot that he said, no, I think I'll go 2,500 miles due west and because uh, I don't want God to save them. What I want God to do is to nuke them. I don't want God to save them. So he's out on the Mediterranean uh, with, uh, with a group of sailors uh, headed toward Tarshish, headed toward Portugal. Verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Uh, notice it wasn't that God allowed a great wind to come up. It was the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. Now think about this. You've got, uh, you've got old veteran sea dogs here who were, uh, who'd seen lots of storms. This storm was so bad that even the people who ran the ship were afraid. This must have been quite a quite a storm. And each cried out to his God. So these were pagans. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea. Now, mind you, uh, here are people back in uh, in Israel and uh, and parts roundabout who were trying to get their goods over to Tarshish to sell, and probably were sending money over there to buy things to bring back, so that they could put them in the market there in Israel. And now there's such a tremendous storm that they're having to throw everything overboard just to keep the ship afloat. Notice that our sin not only affects us, it takes us down, 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 but it has an adverse effect on people around us as well. Because now these obviously these sailors were pagans from the things that are said here. But the truth is, is that the reason that this is happening to them is because Jonah's on board. 
But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. So here's the captain. He said, Look, all of us are crying out to our gods. We need to be sure we've got all the bases covered. So you, you need to cry out to you. whoever your God is. You need to cry out to Him too. Perhaps uh, the God will... Um, Let's see, I lost my place. Uh, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Now, isn't that, that's human nature, isn't it? When things start happening, uh, one of the first things that we want to do... Now, who is responsible for this? Why is this happening? Who, who in this room is responsible for this? Well, so they cast lots. That's kind of like throwing dice. They were they were little uh, things made out of uh, usually sheep knuckles that had uh, spots on them, and somehow by as you would cast them into the lap, uh, uh, the way the spots came up would uh, would reveal certain things. Uh, see, I think it's the writer of Proverbs who said the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing of is of the Lord. Uh, the uh, the paraphrased version is men throw dice, but God makes the spots come up. And uh, so that's what's happening here. And it says, uh, the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. So, you know, well, this, this man's a prophet. It, I don't guess it could be him. So maybe the lot is telling us that we need to ask him and he will reveal to us who's, on whose account it is. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Now notice the Lord there is in all caps. That's the covenant name of God, Yahweh. I fear Yahweh. The God God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. If you're going to call upon a God, I'm the one, it's my God that you need to be calling on because He's the one that made this sea. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Notice, this is willful disobedience on the part of Jonah. He knew exactly what he was doing. It wasn't a slip up. He just didn't want God to... As we'll see when we get to chapter 4, the reason he ran away because he knew that God intended to be merciful to the Ninevites and he didn't want God extending mercy. He wanted God to kill them all. Then they said, What shall we do? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And Jonah was exactly right when he said that. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't. Therefore they called out to the Lord. Notice now, they're call- now these pagans are calling on the true God now. They called out to the Lord, O Lord, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, that is the true God, and made vows. So, 
Isn't it interesting? Some people say, well, this is kind of a foxhole conversion. No, it's not. A foxhole conversion occurs whenever you're in a bunch of trouble and you say, oh, Lord, if you'll just do so and so and so and so and get me out of this safely, uh, I'll, uh, I'll just I'll follow you from now on. That's not what these guys did. They, they rode and rode and rode trying to get out of this situation. They weren't praying to the true God and all of a sudden it was apparent that the only thing they could do was to toss Jonah over into the drink. And once they did, the sea just became calm. Can you imagine? It goes from tempestuous to calm. Just bzz, there it is. And that's when it says they made sacrifices to the Lord. They made vows to the Lord. It's possible that these Gentile sailors uh, were saved. Now, it doesn't say that specifically, so we don't know for sure. But it, see, but isn't it interesting that Jonah is such a patriot, he's not interested in any other, anybody else in any other country. He's only interested in himself and he's only interested in his country. And he is such a patriot that he is willing to do whatever is necessary, even to the detriment of himself and his own soul, as it were, in order to spare his nation. And then verse 17 begins the, the section that we call the praying prophet. Because remember, when, when these uh, chapter divisions were put in, they were not put in by the authors of these books. The authors just wrote in paragraphs. But uh, uh, other people later put in chapter divisions and, and verse uh, numbers just so that you and I can find things uh, much more easily. So the last verse of chapter 1 really goes with the second chapter. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Notice, the Lord hurled a great wind, and now the Lord has appointed a great fish. Isn't it amazing that you've got this tumultuous sea out there, and that at just the moment that these sailors decide, we don't have any other options, we're going to have to throw Jonah overboard, that at that moment, that great great fish was exactly where he was supposed to be so that he could swallow Jonah. You see, that's, that's the sovereignty of God. That's God in control. That's the providential care of God. See, if, if most of us, if we'd been God, we had a prophet like this, we'd just say, well, just when, he, when you throw him overboard, he'd just drown. He'd just die. That, that'd be good enough. And I'll give me somebody else to go. But see, God is the God of the second chance for a lot of us. He was for Simon Peter. Well, let's read. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and the Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, just as Jesus mentioned there in Matthew 12, as we read earlier. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. That's what I'd have been doing too, and I suspect you would have as well. Now, when do we usually pray? Well, some of us have a regular prayer time, but uh, for a lot of us, uh, we really get serious about praying when the chips are down. And that's what Jonah's doing here. And it is interesting that as we read through this prayer, there are at least seven references to the Psalms. Now, this tells us a couple of things. One, it tells us that Jonah was very familiar with the Scriptures, which shouldn't surprise us at all. 
But it also should be an application for us, and that is there are times when we may not have the Bible in our hand. And it may be that we need that, that the Lord gives us an opportunity to talk with someone about the scriptures. That is a that is a really good reason to have the scriptures committed to memory and know where to find them. So we can write that down, tell people, say, look, this when you get back to the house, you look up Psalm 139, and it'll tell you that there's nowhere that you can go to get away from the presence of God. Notice what he prays, beginning verse 2, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me out of the belly of Sheol. The word Sheol is, uh, is the grave, the place of the dead. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep. Whoa, you cast me? I thought the sailors threw him overboard. Well, they were the means for throwing him overboard, but Jonah realizes that the real cause of his being in that water and in the belly of that fish is that God has caused that himself. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Um, that's probably a reference to Second Chronicles 6 where when Solomon dedicated the temple, uh, once his construction was completed, uh, he said, you know, if you're in a faraway land and, and you need help, just turn, turn toward the temple and pray. And so apparently that's kind of what Jonah's doing. He says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. Now that's uh, significant there. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountain. Now where are the roots of the mountains? That, that's down on the, on the ocean floor, the bottom of the sea. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Uh, some people take this to mean, from the language that's used here, is that Jonah actually died when he was thrown overboard. Now, you, you don't have to believe that he did die, and you don't have to believe that he didn't. But there is evidence that he may have, and of course that would... Uh, that would really go along with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 as, uh, as Jonah was in the uh, belly of the fish three days and three nights. During that time, of course, Jesus' dead body was, was in the grave. And so it's possible that, that that's, what, uh, that's what this means here. He goes on to say, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And then notice what he says. This is, this is really important. What he says here, he says, What I have vowed, I will pay. Now what is it that prophets vow? They bow, vow to speak for the Lord. They, bow, they vow to obey God, to go where God tells them to go, to say what God tells them to say. The true prophets do. He says, okay, I, you've got my attention. I'll go. What I have vowed, I will pay. And then he says something else that's extremely significant. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now what does he mean by that? 
Well, remember, the reason that he was on his way to Tarshish is so that he wouldn't go up there and preach, have to preach to those Ninevites, because if he did, he was sure that God was going to show mercy to them. And so the point of what he's saying here is when he says salvation belongs to the Lord, is he's saying, okay, Lord, I recognize that you will show mercy to whom you decide you want to show mercy. And that should remind us of Romans 9. He has mercy on whom He wills, and He hardens whom He wills. You'll say to me then, well, why does He still find fault for who resists His will? And Paul responds, who are you, old man, to answer back to God? God is the great potter, and he can, he can, when He shapes the clay, He can make it into whatever He wants to. He can make it into a vase, or He can make it into a slop jar. And the Lord spoke to the fish. How about that? And when he see God speaks all kind of languages. The Lord spoke to the fish, and notice when he did. It says it vomited out Jonah. It vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The the fish apparently beached himself, and when he did, all of a sudden here's a here's fish barf. And when he does, he vomits out and Jonah comes out and rolls out. Now can you imagine if you had been there on the uh, on the Mediterranean fishing that day? I, I think about those people down at Panama City Beach and Pensacola and places like that who who will put up their fishing rods there along the Gulf Coast. And you know, they just they'll put those big old heavy weights on the lines and throw them out there into the surf just as far as they can and trying to catch fish. Can you imagine that you might have some fishermen doing some similar kinds of things there at the edge of the Mediterranean that day and all of a sudden this huge fish beaches itself, goes and out rolls Jonah. Can you imagine that sight? I bet probably the first thing Jonah said was, anybody know the way to Nineveh? That's, uh, that's what I would have said. So here again, we see that God always has His way. Even when people defy God, God will use their disobedience to accomplish His purposes. And we, we see that going on right here in this situation. And that brings us to the preaching prophet, chapter 3. Clearly Jonah, from a physical standpoint, is being obedient now. He is going to Nineveh and he is going to preach. His, his body is cooperating and his legs and his voice are cooperating. But is his heart really in it? Chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Notice again, as that God of the second chance. Now don't count on that second chance. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your hearts as in the day of provocation. Today is the day of salvation. You you may may step out of here and get run over by a truck and die. I, I, I don't want that to happen to any of you. But there's no promise for that we'll be alive tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Notice, has God's will changed? It has not. Go to Nineveh, 
preach what I tell you to preach. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, three days journey in breadth. It'd take you three days to, to get through the whole thing, including the environs. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now that was kind of a short message, wasn't it? And essentially what he's saying is, you better watch out in just a little over a month. God's going to destroy this place. Now, what happens as a result of that? And this tells us something about the power of the Scriptures, the power of the Word of God. Notice the passage there in the left-hand column of your notes from Isaiah 55, verse 11. My Word will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God's Word accomplishes what He intends for it to. And you don't, uh, you don't have to apologize for it, you just use it. Because the power is in the Word. Alright, what, what happens? Jonah preaches 40 days and none of them will be overthrown. Here's the response of the people. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Now why would they believe God? They didn't know anything about this true, this, the one true God. They, they, were, they were a polytheistic society. Why would they do that? It's because the Spirit of God was working there. Notice again in the left-hand column uh, under part 4, the Ninevites' response. And this is what Jesus said about this at a time when He was preaching and people weren't believing what Jesus had to say. And Jesus began in Luke 11, verse 29 and following, Jesus began to say, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah's here. So they believed God. Notice they call for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Notice Jonah had not, had not said anything about a promise of mercy. If you'll repent, God will have mercy on you. Uh, Jonah hadn't said anything about that. Jonah just came through and it shows you the power of the Word of God. Forty days, none of us going to be destroyed by God. The Word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes. That's a picture of repentance. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we we may not perish. Notice, there was no assurance on the part of the king. The king said, hey, if we do what's right, if we do the right thing, if we respond the right way, maybe God will have mercy on us. And we know that God did from what, what Jesus said, what we just read in Luke chapter 11. Then it says, when God saw what they did, 
how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. So why didn't God destroy them? Because they repented. Again, look at that that passage, and it, it relates to the word relent. Uh, the passage there in the left-hand column of your notes from Jeremiah chapter 18. Now this, uh, Jeremiah would come later, but the uh, the principle is 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 the same no matter what time period you're talking about. Jeremiah 18 verse 6, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. See, that's what we see going on here. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. If it's doing evil and it repents, I'll relent. But if I've established a nation and they turn away from me and they begin to do evil, then I will relent of the good that I was going to do to them. Now, I don't think I have to draw an application for any of us right now when we think about our own nation and the way we have turned away from God. And we think about we think about the number of babies that have been aborted. How can God possibly continue to bless us as a nation when we do such evil? When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them and did not do it. Incidentally, in 722, and I put this in your notes, in 722 B.C., Israel finally fell to Assyria. And that was, there was a, a different ruler, a ruler that had followed this ruler that had repented. But Israel finally did fall to Assyria, just as Jonah had feared would happen. But then, about a hundred years later, Nineveh fell to Babylon. And... This time when God called through Nineveh, I'm sorry, through Nahum, called upon Nineveh, called upon the Assyrians to repent, they refused to repent. Notice the passage from Nahum chapter 3, verses 5 and following. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. And all who look at you will shrink from you and say, Wasted is Nineveh. Who will grieve for her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? So again... This is just proof of that passage from Jeremiah that God means what He says and He says what He means. And a nation has a responsibility to do the right thing toward its, toward its people. Well, so what have we got? We've got Jonah finally being obedient, at least outwardly, to the Lord. And he has preached and all of a sudden he has got a tremendous uh, move of the Spirit 
that's going on right here in front of me. I mean from the Oval Office on down, from the King on down. All this is going on. It's a great time to get to do follow-up work. It's a great time to get to spend time with people and explain to them more fully the things about, uh, about God and about the Word of God. It's a time to spend, it's a, it's a great opportunity to spend time with these people to grow them, to disciple them. So is that what Jonah's going to do? Well, let's see. Jonah 4. And this is the pouting prophet, which gives you an idea of what the answer to the question is. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What, what, what displeased him? Yes, the fact that there was repentance in Nineveh. Because now God was not going to destroy Nineveh. Uh, the enemy of his nation. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And notice what he prays this time. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. He's saying, this is the very reason that I didn't go to Nineveh, that I took off for Portugal, that I was going to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. This is the very reason I ran away because I knew you were going to have mercy on those people. And I don't want you to have mercy. I want you to nuke them. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Notice he's got a death wish now. It's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And there's no answer that comes from Jonah. He's pouting, he's ticked off, and he doesn't have anything. He's said all he intends to say to God. Jonah went out of the city. Notice, he's got all these opportunities in the city. And these folks are ready to listen. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. That Don't you know that there were people that would have given him a place to sleep so he didn't have to sleep in a little lean-to? He made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. What would become of the city? Well, maybe they'll revert. Maybe if the Lord sees me pouting and He knows I'm real unhappy about this, maybe the Lord will change His mind and do something anyway. I I doubt He thought that, but that's the way you and I would think. The Lord's not through yet. See, isn't it interesting that the Lord's working on a really uh, macro scale, a broad scale with the city, with the city of Nineveh, But he's also intent on working in the micro scale in the life of this prophet, Jonah. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. Again, we see God hurling the wind, appointing the fish. And now appointing a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Jonah's discomfort and here's God showing mercy to Jonah. Now keep that in mind. God is being merciful to Jonah right now because of Jonah's just because of Jonah's discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Incidentally, this is the only time in the book of Jonah where it says Jonah was glad about anything. He wasn't even glad about the fact that all those people had repented. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm, now this must have been quite a worm, that attacked the plant so that it withered. 
And when the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind. The Shirako started to blow. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. That, that was what Jonah had said before. That was the last thing Jonah had said. And then he says it again. And God essentially asked, question with a little bit of a change in it, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And this time Jonah responds and he said, and I'm sure it was through clenched teeth, and he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came up into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left and all so much cattle? That 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left hand would have included infants, very very small children. It would have included those with obviously mental problems as well. Notice, And the point that he's making here is that Jonah had pity for a plant, but he didn't have pity for people. And God had pity for these people who were lost. Jonah was concerned about his comfort. He was glad about that plant that grew up and gave him shade. He he was glad about his comfort. But he didn't care about the need that these people had because they were lost and going to go to hell. See, it just, it, just, it just emphasizes the, the, the prejudice and the pettiness on the part of Jonah as opposed to the pity that God was showing, the mercy that He was showing on these people of Nineveh. But what do we conclude from all of this? There are several lessons, a lot of lessons that we can, that we can uh, learn from this. Uh, so let's look at uh, look at some some of them we've already touched on. I know there are many life lessons to learn from this uh, story. Uh, first, as we've said before, sin always leads us downward. Our personal sin often brings storms into others' lives. Notice there is no substitute for present obedience. Jonah had been obedient. He had been an obedient prophet in the earlier days of Jeroboam the second, because it said he had prophesied about the restoration of territory, and that happened. And I'm sure he was excited over that. Again, got swept up in the nationalism and the patriotism of the day. But we need to ask ourselves, when, am I being obedient to the Lord now? Or when I think about obedience, is it, well, I did so and so and so and so back you know, several weeks ago, several months ago, several years ago. I did what the Lord told me to do. But am I doing what the Lord tells me to do now? There's no substitute for present obedience. Secondly, it's futile to try to run from God or defy Him. God is sovereign in everything, including the showing of mercy. Knowing the Scriptures certainly is of great importance, but not just where a verse may be on a page in our Bible. We need to have God's Word stored in our minds and hearts. That means we need to be memorizing the Scriptures. It's amazing how God will bring those things to our mind 
at opportune moments when we have when we have uh, times when we want to share with someone or or when we're having struggles all of a sudden the, the, a passage will just come to mind something that we memorized and God may shed a whole new light on that passage for us the proclamation of God's word attended by the work of God's Spirit, produces powerful effects. It certainly did in the city of Nineveh. The Bible says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word concerning Christ. So again, it comes back to the, the proclamation of the Gospel. And, and in regard to all of this prejudice, even under the guise of patriotism, prejudice will produce frustration and anger in our lives. It certainly did in the life of Jonah. God is going to accomplish His purposes with us, without us, through us, or in spite of us. God is going to have His way. The story of Jonah is neither a whale of a tail, that is a myth, nor is it the tale of a whale. It's a story of God who is merciful. And it's the story of His unmerciful, uncaring servant. And God taught Jonah two basic lessons. First of all, He told him, taught him the, the lesson of obedience. We need to serve God out of a sense of devotion and delight rather than out of a sense of duty. Now, it's better to serve Him out of a sense of duty than not to serve Him at all. But it's better to serve Him out of devotion and delight than out of a sense of obligation, out of a sense of duty. Because we need to reflect on what God has done for us, how He invaded our lives, and He changed us, and He plucked our feet from the miry clay and set us on a rock and put a song of praise in our mouth and saved us from an awful, awful fate and even has a place for us for all of eternity in His presence. So our obedience to Him ought to be out of devotion, out of delight. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for what You've done. See, it's possible to do the right thing with the wrong motive. In Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 2, it's written uh, of King Amaziah of Judah, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. See, that's where Jonah was in chapter 3. He did what was right. He did the preaching. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But he didn't do it with a loyal heart. His heart was never in it. The second thing that God, I think, taught Jonah was that of compassion. You and I need to be changed into Christ's image. That's, that's the whole process of sanctification. See, remember this, that though it may appear otherwise, God is in control of all politics and He is also in control of all politicians. And there's that verse from Habakkuk that I referred to at the very beginning of our study. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Well, God does do something about it. But the point is that our patriotism 
and the desire to see our nation's enemies punished must never deter us from our commission to proclaim the gospel. If anyone should delight in seeing God show mercy to the undeserving, it should be us, God's own undeserving people. The story of Jonah is not a whale of a tale. It's not the tale of a whale. It's the story of merciful God. It's a story in chapter 1 of God who will not let go. It's a story of God who always has His way in chapter 2. In chapter 3, it's the story of God who alone is salvation. And in chapter 4, it's the story of God who is our wonderful Counselor. Praise be to God for His great grace and mercy to the likes of us. Father, we thank You so much for the story of Jonah, this true story. You've been listening to Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Your gifts to Focus on Truth are tax deductible. For a free copy of our monthly newsletter, Glimpses of Truth, or other information about the ministry, write to Focus on Truth, Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906.